I just want to again say thank you for being a wonderful church that Michelle and I get the honor and privilege of leading. You know, we got to take last weekend off and we needed it. Um, you know, the, at the end of this month, the last week of June will be our 16th year anniversary of being in Southwest Florida. And sometimes, you know, you, you go back home, and, and this will mean something later in the sermon. You know, have you ever thought that something in your mind, you, you created an imagination or a picture in your mind of how something should be, and then when you live it out in reality, it's something completely different? That the picture doesn't look, God's picture and your picture just were different? Well, I kind of got an a eyewitness view of that. You know, we, uh, I'm 50, and... In my 20s, mid-20s, 26, 27, we lived in northwest Florida in Panama City, or near Panama City. And in your mind, you think you're going back to that experience when you were in your mid-20s. And you get all of these plans like, let's go here and here and do this and do that, and we'll visit this old place. They're not there anymore. <laughs> you know, things change. And that's why I want to talk to you today about the second sermon in the series, Kings and Kingdoms, the kingdom of God is the, really the only thing that has the foundation because the king never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that the God, the king of the kingdom of Paul, Abraham, Isaac, Peter, James, John, is the same king that is here with us today. And I want to talk to you just for a few moments. And most of the time, if you're a guest, we want to welcome you again. I want to say thank you for choosing to worship with us. And more than I want you to see our talent or even um, the, the, uh, the sermon, I would rather you experience the presence of an almighty God because the words of a song can only be powerful if they're about the one that, had, that is endless, that is, is hope where there is no hope. And the power of a sermon is not the person communicating it. The power of a sermon is the source in which you're communicating about the king because he is the one that can perform transformation in your life and in mine. And I'll be honest with you, there's times where I need some transformation. And today, last week, Pastor Gray and Britt preached about what makes a king a king. And... When I first started asking the question, because we were talking about the sermons in, in sequence, and the first thing that started coming out, well, what makes a king is a crown. The problem is, is this doesn't identify, this doesn't really qualify you to be a king because there's a lot of affluent people. There's a lot of rich people that could have somebody make them a crown. But because they put something rich on their head does not make them a king. And what they taught last week is the crown didn't make you a king, didn't make him a king. It was the blood. See, now, for the last two weeks, haven't you kind of got tired of all of this talk about this royal wedding? And who's coming and who's not coming and, and who's going to be this and who's going to be that and what celebrity is going to show up? You know what? I was amazed this week is that the talk turned from not now that the wedding is over and now you have 
the potential for the conveying of the royal bloodline, they started talking about succession and where these children will find themselves in succession to the throne. I want to ask you today, where's your place in the kingdom? And do you know about the king or do you know him? So let's pray. Father, today I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that allows preaching to be powerful and that, Father, that it goes beyond any human capability of, of experience of how many times that the person has spoken. But, Father, I would rather rely upon the authority and sovereignty of your word. So, Father, let your word become real and alive in all of us. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Now, here's some facts about kings and kingdoms. All kings need a kingdom. That's what helps identify. It's one of the characteristics of being a king. You've got to have a kingdom. And a kingdom is defined as a state or a domain ruled by a king or a queen. Every kingdom has subjects. That's what makes it a kingdom. Subjects are people who accept the authority of said king or queen. And kings having a kingdom have a domain. And the domain is identified as how far that, that willingness or that influence and in people subjecting themselves to the authority of that king, the boundaries of that influence and authority mark the domain of the kingdom. That means that you can have a king that has a, a kingdom, but the scope of their influence may stretch for miles, countries. There's been kings that have ruled the known world. And every good king, there, even the Bible talks about the difference between good kings and bad kings. Bad kings seem to be selfish, self-motivated. They're uh, greedy for power, authority. They want the title more than they want the responsibility. And so what they do is they put uh, burdens and shackles upon their subjects. They have to pay taxes to meet the whims of the king. A good king is marked with compassion, mercy. And he leads with justice and wisdom. And what we have to understand is, is that sometimes we, get, we struggle with the concept of a kingdom. And let me go ahead and get this out of the way first. is because we are accustomed to a democracy. That means where everybody has a voice and everybody has a vote. But the Bible didn't use a democracy as the analogy of the kingdom of God. They used a kingdom. With a king. And that means that someone has a voice louder than yours. Someone has authority that is greater than all of us combined. It is the one that sits upon the throne of the kingdom. In this case, the kingdom of God being Jesus. And that's what made Jesus' ministry so ironic. Have you ever wondered, if I, if I tested us today, let's do a quick test. Who knows what was the first miracle of Jesus? Wine into water. Does anybody know his first sermon? Now we've studied in Sunday school about those miracles, about what he did, what, what he performed first. But sometimes, don't you think that it's important to know what he said first when he started to talk? When he come out of obscurity and he starts to decide, I'm going to make my ministry public. He has now been, uh, he's about 30 years of age. 
He has been baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God has descended on him like a dove and the audible voice of the Father has said out loud to everyone in witness of his baptism, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then he's ushered off by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. He has fought temptation for 40 days without food. He confronts the devil with the authority of God's word and then returns, picks up the scroll of Isaiah and declares, I'm the guy. I'm the Messiah. And this brings not comfort, it brings confusion. Because here's his first sermon found in Mark chapter 1 verse 14. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This one statement, this kind of one, two verse sermon on his declaration public ministry number one thing that he says after he returns from the temptation reads Isaiah declares he's the Messiah and then starts to speak and says the time for the kingdom to begin is now and it did nothing but confuse you know why because the people he was talking to had a different picture in their mind of what the Messiah was to be and they had good reason one you would think that the people that gave their life to study of God's word, like the Pharisees, the scribes, the rabbis, they would have been looking for the Messiah in the right place. They were looking for a general, a guy that was going to come on the scene and say, you get the swords, you get the spears, you get the shields, and we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to whip Rome. We're going to defeat the army of Rome and we're going to be free. The problem is Jesus wasn't telling anybody to get spears and swords. See, the one thing about this king is they forgot to really study Isaiah because Isaiah said this king would be a servant king. This king would be a shepherd king. This king would be a lamb and a lion all at the same time. This king would be a suffering king. This king would put others ahead of himself. This king would lay down his life for the ransom of many. This king would be a superhero within himself and declare the authority of light over darkness forever. And they were looking for a general. Somebody with stripes on their arms. Somebody that was going to come and say, okay, let's do this thing. Let's get everybody together and we're going to go defeat Rome. And they had good reason. See, the confusion come based upon Daniel chapter 2. And does anybody want to come up and preach Daniel chapter 2 for me real quick? <laughs> what happened in Daniel chapter 2? A dream. A bad dream. King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 has a dream. And this dream is so troubling to him that he calls all of his people together. Now I preached this to our staff and I preached it in first service. So I, this is the third go around for me. And I, I, this was a place for me to get funny in staff meetings because the Bible uses a crazy word in the second chapter of Daniel's like diviners. And, and you ask your neighbor, you know, what's a diviner? It's like a witch, a warlock, a wizard. I bought a giraffe this week at Panama City, a big giraffe. He was like seven and a half foot tall. You know what was beside the giraffe? If I'd have saw it before I bought it, I probably wouldn't have bought it. It was the Book of Wicca. In just a regular store, Book of Wicca. I asked Michelle, I said, wonder if they let me bring my Bible. Just let it camp out near the Book of Wicca and see what happens. 
But King Nebuchadnezzar was so troubled, he got all of his Wiccans and all of his witches and all of his warlocks and all of his diviners and said this. He said, I had a bad dream and I'm troubled. I can't sleep anymore and I'm not going to get any peace until I get an interpretation of this dream. And they said, well, tell us what the dream is. And they said, well, he said, well, wait a minute. I thought I was paying you to be a diviner. I thought you was a witch, a warlock, a Wiccan. I thought you could handle this thing. It wouldn't do me any good because you could make up an interpretation if I told you what the dream is. But I'll know you know what you're talking about if you can interpret my dream and tell me my dream, then interpret it. And by the way, if you don't hurry up, I'm going to kill y'all. Now that's job pressure right there. You're looking around like going, hey man, I don't know where. Tell everybody bye because we don't know what he's talking about. But there was one guy in the kingdom that had a godly connection through the power of prayer. And even being faced with being put in a lion's den, he would still go to this place and pray. And Daniel hears of the troubling of the king and he starts to pray and say, God, I need you to give me because I may get caught up in this thing and he may kill me too. I need to know what he dreamed. And God said, this is what he dreamed. And this is what the interpretation was. And so Daniel goes to the king and says, Hey, I got it for you. You ready? He said, I know what you dreamed. You dreamed about a big statue. And the big statue had a gold head and a brass shoulders and chest. And then as the statue went down to its feet, it diminished in its, in, in its material. It become, went from gold to now it's iron and iron to clay and iron. And all of a sudden in your dream, there was this big rock that wasn't ever cut by the hand of man. It was cut by the hand of God. And at the at the hand of God he took this rock and he hurls it at this statue and it hits the statue and destroys the statue and it's so destroyed that the pieces are so fine that the Bible says it's like chaff in the wind and then the rock turns into a mountain and the mountain fills the earth now I've got to be honest with you if I dreamed the dream I'd be scared too you know stuff breaking apart mountains filling the earth and he said, King, you're part of the statue. But there's coming a day where there's a kingdom that's going to supersede every other kingdom. And that rock is the Messiah. That rock is going to come and set up a kingdom that's going to destroy the kingdoms, uh, the satisfaction with the kingdoms of the earth. And it's going to blow away like chaff. They're not going to remember who you are very much, but they're going to know him. And then it's going to spread throughout all the earth. So the Israelites had good reason to believe in a general because it's going to be the stone that knocks down the kingdoms. But then when Jesus starts to preach, he's preaching the kingdom of God is different than the general with the army. He starts to preach at Matthew chapter 13. And he says this, he says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servant of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said this, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go gather them? Talking about the weeds. And he said, No, lest they, in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. In the harvest time I will tell the reapers, which are angels later in the chapter, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. 
So he's telling them the kingdom is here and the kingdom is different than what you thought and the kingdom of God is like a field, not like an army. It's like a field with two types of crops. There's weeds and wheat. You know how many times we've been consumed with trying to rid the world of evil? God knew evil was going to be growing right beside the righteous. And so many times we get so confused and so worried about the the weeds. We're talking as Christians. We're talking about, hey, did you you hear what happened on the news today? I'm afraid. Did you hear what was going on here? Did you hear about all the violence in our city? Did you hear about all of this and all of that? I'm here to tell you the weeds cannot prevent the harvest from coming. The weeds did not destroy the field. You were sent here for a purpose. And we're not here to try to create some utopia on earth where there is no evil. You had an assignment from the Garden of Eden. Now, I'm going to get a little teachy right here for just a second. And if you read the first few pages of the Bible, we're going to do a series not long from now, and we may call it the first few pages. And if you read the first few pages of Genesis, you'll get the creation story. Now, I want you to understand, God didn't create the earth to be the Garden of Eden. He created the earth first and then created the Garden of Eden in the earth. Read it closely. Then the Bible says he planted man in the garden and then gave him a task. Go subdue it. Go have dominion over it and tend my garden. And what he was telling them is I made a little garden on a big earth. And I want you to expand the boundaries of that garden. I want light to confront darkness. I want chaos to, I want order to confront chaos. And I want you to take the boundaries of the garden and make it so contagious that it consumes the earth. That was our first job. We know we gave it away. How did we give it away? The enemy came. Just like in that field that he was preaching about, the enemy came and sowed some weeds. He talked to Adam and Eve and convinced them to rebel against the power of God and the discipline of God and said, you don't have to... God had told them, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate and they fell. We gave our authority of the kingdom over to the hands of the enemy and then Jesus come and reconciled it at the cross. Amen. Now I'm going to preach a little bit about weeds and wheat. I'm going to do it nicely. Because sometimes I get on my little soapboxes, you know, and there's personal convictions that get translated into sermons. And, you know, I got, I got some issues with, 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 you know, if you, I'm not criticizing the way you parent. I'm here to just bring you the truth. Is that sometimes we get so consumed with trying to protect our kids from evil that we get to trying to sterilize environments. Like there's people here that, matter of fact, I was one of those people. My kids went to both public school and private school. Now, if you're a parent that is sending your kids to private school, God bless you. But you have not isolated them from temptation. It may not come today. Maybe maybe your, your private school only has three students. That's the best bet for you because the more students, the more area there is for temptation. And I'm here to tell you, if you'll ask your teenager, there's just as much temptation in your private school as there is in your public school. Amen. Because if you, it's not to keep them from temptation or from evil. Teach them about it. Prepare them for it. 
Because eventually they're going to be faced with temptation whether they're 8 or 18 or 28. One day they're going to have the choice to do right or wrong. And if you haven't prepared them for it, you can't absolve them from evil because one day they're going to get confronted with it. Tell them the truth about evil. And the consequences of rebellion. Because you say, well, pastor, we don't, we're city gate. We don't talk about the weeds too much. Every parent that has ever sent their kids, you know, to that protected environment. That's what happened in the church, man. In the 80s and 90s, we wanted to get rid of so much sin that we quit letting the sinner in. Sterilized it. It's the truth. But now we're called radical because we let sinners in. Because we believe that the power of the gospel can transform a sinner. And the king that sits on the throne can take a sinner and make them a follower of Christ. We believe that those that are guilty of past transgressions can get covered by the power of the blood of Jesus and transformed and become tabernacles of the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor, I grew up in church and I've demonstrated a gift of the Holy Spirit 19,000 times. I want you to know that the, the person living under the underpass can receive the same gifting as you if they get transformed by the power of the gospel. You say, Pastor, I don't talk about the weeds more than the wheat. I'm waiting for parents to come in and close my door behind my office and say, guess what, Pastor? I've learned we're going to ambush the enemy. I'm sending my kids to where it's dark because I put, them, I put the power of the light in them. And I can't wait. It's shooting fish in a barrel. My kids are going to start revival. My kids are going to demonstrate the authority of the kingdom in a dark area and declare the authority of light in that area. And we're going to see people get saved. Get ready. I'm waiting for that day. Amen. <laughs> I'm, waiting for, I'm waiting to get people all filled up with, you know, confronting darkness. Do you know, let, let me just, you say, well, Pastor, I don't know what to teach my kids about evil. Teach them the truth. Here's the truth. Do you realize we win? Do you realize that the enemy is defeated? I got two stories for you. They won't take long because I don't have long. Do you realize, do anybody remember the battle of Jericho? You remember that? Seven, six, one time for six days, seven times on the seventh day. Blow the horn. We, we made whole songs out of that. Weapons of our warfare are like praise to God, you know, all of that. You're telling the end of the story. But the end of the story happened way before they marched the seventh time around the, around the walls. Do you remember when they went to Rahab's house? And they, they got into Rahab's house? And Rahab said, man, we've been waiting for y'all to realize that you had God on your side. We knew we were defeated years and years ago. We were just waiting for you to get to the understanding that you were the winners. And all of a sudden now you've got a little bit of courage because you've realized he's on your side. We knew we were defeated when you showed up. You say, well, what's the second story? How about, yeah, how many times did Jesus and demons get together? You know, all those stories where demons start to manifest and Jesus is around. You remember the one time they manifested 
and they talk to him before he talked to them. He just shows up and demons start to talk. Hey, are you here to kill us? You here to destroy us? I thought, I thought we had an appointed time and I didn't know it was today. We're terrified here. We, we are shaking in our boots because you just showed up and got out of a boat and stepped onto the ground and we're having to back up because of who you are. Tell your kids the same Jesus that was in the Bible is the same God of the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit living in you. And the same authority of the king then is the king now. Y'all send me away for a couple weeks and or a couple days and I want to preach. And then all of a sudden, not only does he preach about weeds and wheat, but then he goes on. Point number two. He put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven is like grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field and it is the smallest of all seeds but when it is grown it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree and so that the birds of the air can make nests out of its branches. Here's the second dynamic of the kingdom. It starts out small. See they were waiting for the big army to, you know, they were waiting for the Messiah to show up bring angels and kill everybody that was in the Roman army. He said, no, 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 this, this kingdom's different. It starts out small. It's like a little bit of seed. Here's the most incredible part about that passage. He ain't talking to nobody. We have more people in this building than he was preaching to. And they were in a field, peasants. Not a single governor, not a Pharisee, not a scribe, not a king. They were just common people. Nobody. And he said, it's going to start out here in a field with a few pheasants in the smallest of seeds. They couldn't get that. What do you mean it's going to be small? Yeah, it's going to be small, but it ain't going to stay small long. Because he wanted you to know that you could be the furthest person from what you feel is God today. And you can feel the smallest of the smallest in this room. But he can take you and make you great. He's talking to nobody with an army. No chariots. I mean, goodness gracious, we got businessmen that loan us trucks when we go to Rock the Block and go feed people during the hurricane. He didn't have no chariots. He couldn't call nobody that was standing there and say, hey, you got a chariot for sale? You got, can I borrow? I ain't got money to buy. Can you borrow? Can I borrow a chariot? They didn't have nothing. Nets, few boats. But yet today, the authority of the king speaking this message, that out of those peasants standing in a field, there's almost a church on every corner. And the gospel has penetrated almost every square inch of this planet. We've got people preaching today more than ever before. We've got the power of the gospel being translated in different languages and going throughout the internet. The power of that group of peasants has been perpetuated because of the authority of the king speaking it to them and the character of the king getting inside of them that now the world knows the power of the gospel. Amen. You know that it said that 70% of all health care, especially in third world countries, comes from Christians. That's incredible. We don't even ask them to believe. We want them to believe. We're going to preach to them while they're in the hospital. But you know what? We'll give them care even if they're a sinner. Huh. And now Christianity affected you. 2,000 years later, it's still alive. It's a tree. It's not a little seed anymore. 
It's a tree that can be, can be sustained, the life of this earth. The, the Bible says that birds could sit in it. You know what? I can't wait to tell people that Jesus started with a few believers, but there's millions upon millions, probably billions of believers now, both past, present, and future. The demise of the church has been over-exaggerated. The bride is going to be here when he comes. It starts out small and turns into something great. And then he says this as he concludes. He says, I got one more point to this one first message that I'm going to preach about the kingdom. And he told them in Matthew 13, 33, and he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hidden three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And the whole point is the kingdom is going to be in the company of evil. It is going to conquer evil. And then it's going to start out small and get big. And then it's going to be contagious. You can't take a little bit of leaven and put it in a little bit of flour. It affects it all. He says there's a woman tried this in three different barrels. And when she opened up every barrel, every, every bit of the, the, the stuff was leavened. Because the leaven become contagious till it consumed everything. Huh. Ain't that crazy? That the kingdom is so contagious. Can you imagine what would terrify the enemy? That's what scares him to death about us. We're not traditional. I'm not talking about styles of music. I'm talking about most Christians get satisfied with going and punching in their time card on Sundays. I showed up. I wish we could really see the ego in that. I showed up for you, God. I endured bad songs, good songs, bad preaching, good preaching. I was there an hour and 15 minutes. I'll see you next week. <laughs> and if you're a guest with us, we love you and would really love for you to come back. But if you're looking for a church like that, we're not it. <laughs> you know... <laughs> What we are is a body of believers that believe that the same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus to preach and anointed the apostles in the upper room lives in us. And we've been turned loose. I, I didn't get to preach last week. It's 12.07. Will you give me eight more minutes? All right. Eight more minutes. Because here's the truth. You didn't get saved. I'm going to get loud. You didn't get saved just to act better. To be more moral. You ain't that moral. I mean, really? Well, Pastor, I don't look at stuff. Thank God. My friend went to Greece a couple of weeks ago. He showed me a picture of a monastery built on top of a sheer cliff with no roads and no access. I said, how did they build that? He said, the monks learned how to climb the cliff. And they took one stone at a time up there and built a monastery until it's this big building. They had one picture of a door. And the door opened up to the edge of the cliff. It's like 800 feet down. I don't want to use the door. It has no purpose. 
those cats living up on top of that mountain, they are really, really, really moral. They act right. They, well, pastor, you know, do they lust? Over what? <laughs> do they watch stuff on their computer? They don't have a computer. They're moral people, probably some of the most moral people on planet Earth. But they are not saved. Because to get saved, you've got to have Jesus, the King, having authority over your life because He's the King of the kingdom. <laughs> you didn't get saved to act more moral. Here's how I wrote it. First service got excited. I can't imagine what's going to happen in this service. You were saved to expand the principles and the authority of the king and the kingdom. In the garden you were tasked with a job to take Eden or order and light to the earth which was chaos and darkness. Jesus in his earthly ministry tasked us to make disciples, bring order and light out of unbelievers, chaos and darkness. You were then to take the authority of his, the king and his kingdom. Here we are. To restrain darkness, bring order to chaos, conquer darkness with the authority of the gospel <clears throat> that's what you were saved for you aren't saved to wait until the trumpet sounds and you to float on a cloud with some kind of heart you were saved to become dangerous on the earth that the power of the Holy Spirit could let you loose into darkness and to go into enemy occupied territory and declare I've come with the authority of the king the king has sent me. The king has enabled me. And the character of the king lives in me. City gate, the churches of southwest Florida, terrify the devil. You should not be afraid of him. You should never worry about darkness. Why would you worry about darkness when the... The unquenchable light of the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. No, what we've done is got other people around us with the same light, and we've compared who's got the brightest light. You don't really know until you, it goes from theory to practice. Get in some darkness and open up yourself and allow Jesus to come through you in darkness, and you'll find out that light will penetrate the dark. Well, Pastor, I'm afraid of the devil. I'm afraid of demons. I don't like any of that stuff. I shut the stuff off when it comes on. It's evil. <laughs> Your king ain't afraid of them. Your king looked at a demon that called himself Legion, 6,000 strong, and said, come out of him right now. I don't have to wrestle with you. And they're begging him, can we just go into the pigs? Yep, go into the pigs and run off the cliff. And the same Jesus that did that's in you. The authority of the kingdom. Here we go. I got four minutes left. I'm not here for spiritual Simon Says. Because here's, here's another thing that I, bro, I wrote. You were not saved to live more moral lives. Because you know what? The millennials think that's boring. And I don't blame them. Churches become a place where it's don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. And then give us some money and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this again. I ain't 
signing up for that. That ain't what I, that, that's not what I'm, I'm here about. No, no, no. I'm not here for do good, better morality. I could get that on the internet. No, no, I'm here for transformation. I'm here for the king of the kingdom to transform and put his character inside of me. I want to walk with the authority of his words. I want to walk in the power of his anointing. I want to walk where, you ever notice where he walked and sick people were? Sometimes they didn't stay sick anymore. That's, where, that's the king I'm looking for. Because I'm not here for spiritual, Simon says. And you know what? Even Citygate does that. You say, what? Oh, yeah, we, Simon says, you today. Somebody come up here and say, stand up. What'd you do? Lift your hands. Only thing we didn't do is say, Simon says. Lift your hands. Clap your hands. Touch your neighbor and tell them it's been good preaching. You know, and you're going to touch your neighbor. Simon said. And what has happened is we built a culture lacking transformation because all we provided with the power of salvation was spiritual Simon says. Come to the front. I'm going to say a prayer. You're going to repeat it after me. You ain't going to mean it, but you're going to say the words. No, not today. You're here. If you want the king, he's ready for you. He's wanting to invite you into the kingdom. But I'm not going to be the one telling you how to love him. I'm going to tell you if you'll just run to him. Open up your heart and open up your mind. And allow the power of transformation to touch your soul. You can come in a sinner. I said saint in first service. I recognize none of us are saints. You can come in a sinner. Leave a follower of Jesus. There's a story in the Bible, here's where we end, where the king invited people to the banquet. And all they had to do, there was a lot of people that offered excuses. I'm not here to sell you Jesus today. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here, I'm not a salesman. I'm here to invite you to the banquet. I've been sent on behalf of the king to invite you to his banquet. The only thing you got to do is change clothes. In the story, that's all they had to do. He bought them a brand new robe. Take off your old robe, put on the new robe, enter into the banquet. Here's the invitation. In just a moment, Amy's going to sing. She's going to lead you in an act of worship. During that act of worship, you can receive Christ by taking off your old man and saying, I'm here to become new, and you're the only one that can do that. My sins are great, but you are greater. My hands are dirty, but they sung about me being able to lift them into your, to acknowledge your holiness. And in a moment after she leads us in a moment of worship, our ministry team is going to come. And I'm not going to beg you to come to the altar. You may already be saved. If you need to be healed, come to the king. He's here. If you need to be, you've got a circumstance, a crisis going on in your life, in your relationships, in your work, run to the king. The banquet's open.